Give a mighty shout of praise for the Lord in this place. If we can sing, start with us really quick. Yes. We're singing about revival today. That's pretty cool, right? Start with If you want God to start with you. To do the work before me. Before we get into the word, if you want God to start with you, to use you for revival, come up to these altars. Let's take this a little bit seriously. Jesus, start with us. Start with us today. Start with us right now, Lord. Breakthrough in Jesus' name. Freedom. Release your fire. Start with me. Jesus, we invite you to come right now. Oh, let your hunger just erupt right now. Just sing in tongues, pray in the Spirit. Oh, if you're hungry, he'll fill you today. His river is flowing in this place. Jesus, I pray that you'd release your power right now. Have your way. Any sin, Lord God, we command it to go. Any demonic oppression, we command it to end today. In the name of Jesus, we ask that your power would come down upon each and every one of us. Lord, we pray for a shift, God, in marriages, a shift in mindsets, a shift in addictions. In the name of Jesus, start with us today, Lord. Send us out, Jesus. We need to be sent out. We need to be filled with your power, Lord God. Just a few more moments. Pray in the Spirit. Press in just a little bit longer. Use us, Lord. I don't know about you, but I feel the power of God in this place. Have your way, Lord God. The Bible says, ask and we shall receive. What are you asking for this morning? What do you want to see? What do you want to let go today? Say, Holy Spirit, touch me. Speak to me. Do something new in my life. Starting right now. In Jesus' name. <laughs> amen, amen. Praise God. Give a hand clap of praise for the Lord. You may go back to your seats. Oh, praise the Lord. Awesome. Thank you, worship band. Everybody give it up for a pregnant woman, Jerry, <laughs> leading us in the presence and worship. You guys did an awesome job. Well, for those of you who don't know, my name is Lawrence Rodriguez. I'm a deacon here at Metro Praise. I've been here for maybe a little over eight, nine years now. I am a Bible college student just about to graduate. I'm almost there. Praise God. Praise God. Um, and I am obviously married to my wonderful wife, Jacqueline Rodriguez. I have a son, Ethan Rodriguez. Just had to give that little intro. I love God. I love you guys. I love Metro Praise. Amen. Well, today's sermon title is called As in the Days of Noah. Um, there was different titles that were kind of floating around in my mind, different things that I uh, you know, was kind of feeling in my spirit. Which direction should I take this? 
Um, definitely got fired up when Pedro first gave me the call. He was, you know, just sharing his heart. I'm like, man, I'm going to talk about revival and how God wants to do more in Chicago and in, through us and in us and all these different things. And God just kind of narrowed it down to this specific uh, theme that we're going to unpack here this morning. So if we could all turn there, if we could all open up to Matthew chapter 24, we're going to be starting in verse 36. Amen. So if you can turn there again in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. I believe this is something that uh, is for this hour, for the season that we're in as a church here in Chicago and really around the world, around America, around the world. There's so much going on. There's so many things that are happening and the church needs to wake up. The church needs to wake up. The church needs to realize what hour they are in. How many of you guys know if there is a burglar outside, you're going to do something about it. You're going to respond a certain way. You're going to grab the baseball bat, the gun, whatever it is you need to do. There's a crisis on the other side of that door. You need to do something about it, right? How many of you guys know if you saw on the news there was an earthquake that was about to happen in Illinois, in Chicago, and your neighborhood was in danger of, of, of uh, you know, that earthquake um, affecting your neighborhood and your area? How many of you guys know you would do something? You would respond. Something inside of you would wake up and you would go and take care of business, whatever that may look like. We'll go into that a little bit more later on this morning in the sermon. But before that, let's just... Uh, Let's uh, open up with this passage here in Matthew chapter 4, verse 36. It says, but as for that day and hour, no one knows it, not even the angels in heaven except the Father alone. For just like the days of Noah were, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. For in those days before the flood, everybody say before the flood. For in those days before the flood, people were eating People were drinking, people were marrying and giving in marriage until the very day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing until the flood came and took them all away. It will be the same. Everybody say the same. same. It will be the same at the coming of the Son of Man. Wow. Praise God. I pray that this message would bless you. I pray that it would encourage you. I pray that it would challenge you. Some of you need to be shaken today. Some of you need to wake up in your heart. I pray that some of you would be agitated in your spirit. I pray that it would make some of you uncomfortable. I pray that it would disrupt your life in some kind of way. We need to wake up in this place, and we need to realize the hour that we're living in. So let's go ahead and jump into this passage. So at the beginning, well, really this whole chapter, Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is talking. And a lot of it is tied to the end times. Uh, a lot of the chapter, it's so powerful, it's so awesome. Strongly encourage you, look over it uh, for your devotional time or whatnot. Very good, so many good nuggies in there. So the context of this chapter is the end times when Jesus returns, when Jesus comes back. That's what Jesus is talking about. And when it's talking about the day or the hour, he's talking about the day or the hour that Jesus returns. Now, I want to make this quick note if, for some of you who are reading in the NIV version. It says something that could perhaps throw us off a little bit. It says that not even the sun knows the day or the hour. Okay, so that's kind of interesting. Now, I want to clarify the sun is not on a separate page 
that the Father is on. The Father and the Son are one. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. There's no difference between them. They're two distinct individuals, but they're one together. They're unified, and they know exactly what each other is doing. The Son is not holding secrets. The Father doesn't have his secrets that he's not going to tell the Son or the Spirit. No, that's not the case. When Jesus was speaking these words, he was speaking it within his human limitation. How many of you guys know humans, our brain is not capable of knowing everything, amen? Otherwise, what? Our brain might explode or something. Who knows? So Jesus was speaking within his human limitations. That's why he said, hey, not even the Son knows, only the Father. Does that make sense? Amen. So most scholars agree that that is the case. That's what's uh, happening here in this chapter, in this verse. So I just wanted to clarify that if, in case that kind of uh, caused any confusion. But Jesus is talking about the day or the hour. I love how he says that nobody knows the day or the hour. How about we stop selling books? We stop making movies and TV shows that try and depict somehow the exact day or the hour. Nobody knows it. Stop wasting your time. Stop trying to look at the calendars and the moons and all these different things. You're wasting your time. You need to realize that nobody knows the exact day or the hour. Now, of course, we can observe, we can look at the seasons, we can look at the signs around us. That's biblical. God encourages that. But don't fall for the schemes of man that try and pinpoint the exact day. Jesus is saying that nobody knows the day or the hour. And that's actually elsewhere in the New Testament. I'm going to read another verse later that says the exact same thing. So Jesus is saying nobody knows the day or the hour that he is going to be coming back. For just like the days of Noah were, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. So Jesus is referring to when he comes back, and he's connecting it to, he's making a, uh, a comparison to the generation of Noah, Noah's day. By the way, if I could get a, a cup of water, a uh, water bottle, thank you so much. Um, no, uh, Jesus is making a comparison to Noah's generation. He's saying that just as the days were, just as the people were like, the mindset that they had, the way that they lived their lives, just as it was in Noah's time, it's going to be the same exact way when Jesus returns. Now, what exactly is he getting at? For some of you who know uh, the story of Noah and the ark, some of the verses that discuss it and talk about it, we know that Noah's generation was obviously very wicked, very evil. There was a lot of perversion Thank you so much. It says that the people of Noah's day were a very violent people. And they were this way to the extent that Jesus, that God was regretful and sorrowful that he even made mankind. How evil and wicked do you have to be to the point where you disrupt God's heart? And he says, man, I wish I never made you guys. Lord, have mercy. Well, that's going to be the same way it's, it is when Jesus returns. Some of us have to get ready for that. However, Jesus isn't just referring to the violence or the evil or the wickedness. He goes a little bit deeper. He's trying to connect something a little bit more further than just the violence and the actions that people were doing. Let's go to verse, let's go to the next verse, verse 38. Uh, no, no, sorry, stay there. Let's go to what he says after that. He explains what he means by in the days of Noah. He clarifies for in those days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. What's wrong with those things? Off the top of your head, just, you know, with those, those, those four different descriptions, eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage. I like to sum it up as they were filling their stomach and they were chasing their sexuality. 
They were chasing and pursuing love, whatever they might have defined it back then. Maybe they were more uh, different than us in that they were actually doing marriage. I mean, these days we don't even do that anymore. We just hook up. So perhaps we might be worse. I don't know. But anyway, Jesus is describing these four things that in and of themselves aren't really a sin. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that eating is a sin. It doesn't say that they're drinking wine and getting drunk. It's not talking about gluttony. And it's not even discussing or highlighting sexual immorality. Jesus is saying these people are eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage. What's wrong with that? That sounds pretty normal. Imagine you're living in Noah's generation. You know, there, there's, uh, you, know you, you worked your, your normal schedule. You're going to be off for the weekend if they did that back then. You call up your friends. Hey, you know what? I'm off today. Today starts my weekend. Let's have a barbecue. Let's hang out. Let's eat. Let's drink. Why don't you invite that cute guy, that cute girl? Right? So many people do that. And in and of itself, is it really that bad? Is it really that dangerous? Does it really, you know, go against anything that the Bible talks about? Seems fairly normal. Nothing wrong with these different things at least from what Jesus gives us. So why is he emphasizing these four points and connecting it to when he returns? What is the point that Jesus is making when he says that people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage in Noah's generation? Well, the key to answer that question is really the first part of that statement at the very beginning. It says again, for in those days before the flood. Everybody say the flood. Remember, we said that. Here's what's interesting and what Jesus is describing. If they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage at any other point in time, perhaps it would have been okay. Perhaps it wouldn't be that big of a deal. If they were calling up their friends, hanging out, partying, doing whatever, you know, maybe not even getting drunk, maybe not even indulging in sexual immorality, although since we know the context of Noah and his generation, we know they were probably doing that as well. But just based off of this description, perhaps if they were doing this any other time, it would have been okay. It would have been fine. There would have been no problem. We could relax. We could chill. We could take it easy. Plan our lives. Go ahead. Schedule a few barbecues, a few hangouts. It doesn't matter. It's okay. Everything's fine. As long as it goes according to plan, let's have fun, let's eat, let's drink, let's pursue, let's make love, let's chase these dreams that we have. But what's the problem? What's the irony? What's the phenomenon that Jesus is highlighting in this passage? It's that they're doing these things that seem normal. They're doing these things that seem as if it's completely fine and okay. They're doing all of this the days before the flood. Now, let me help you guys a little bit. If you know that a flood is coming, if you know that something is on the horizon, if you know that a crisis is approaching in the days to come, you're not going to be eating. You're not going to be drinking. You're not going to be hanging out with your friends pretending as if everything's cool. In the days before the flood, you get ready. You prepare. You make a boat. You make something. You figure it out. You watch a YouTube video. I don't know what you got to do, but you're going to do it. Because a flood is on the horizon. See, as human beings, we understand that when there's a natural disaster, when there's danger, when there's imminent danger in the future, in the coming days, on the horizon, we get ready. We prepare. We have videos in our pop culture, shows about 
uh, preppers, and they make these bunkers, and they stock up all this food. We have a whole crisis right now going on, at least painted by the American government, talking about coronavirus, COVID-19. They saw this virus, you know, expanding, starting in China, all this different stuff. And they took all these precautions. They saw a crisis. They saw something looming ahead. And they had to stop everything. Because they understood. A human mind understands. Is able to put two and two together. There's imminent danger. Something's on the horizon. Something is on its way. It's a crisis. I need to get ready. But here's the problem. That's not what the people of Noah's generation were doing. A flood was on its way, and not just any flood. It wasn't just like a little, you know, sprinkling a little rain or something. It wasn't a flood that was going to flood this one area where there was like no population or whatever. It wasn't even a flood that was just going to, uh, you know, overtake maybe one, one neighborhood, one city, one nation. This was a flood that was going to destroy all of creation. Definitely something of great magnitude. Definitely something very important and very severe. So why are these people going about their lives as if everything's fine? Why are they calling up their buddies, making up, you know, hangouts and barbecues, ready to have fun and, and do life and make all these plans and pursue this person or that person? Why are they doing this in light of the coming judgment? In light of the crisis that is approaching them? Jesus is making a comparison. He's saying, look at the people in Noah's generation, how oblivious they were to the coming judgment, to the coming crisis. They were acting as if everything was normal. They weren't disrupting anything about their lifestyle. They weren't inconveniencing their schedule, even though they were going to be taken completely out. For in those days before the flood, people were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage. How long were they doing this? Need some water here. How long were they doing this? Did they have a moment where they woke up as they saw that Noah was building the ark? The Bible says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Two things about that. Number one, you can't be a preacher if you don't have anybody that's listening to you. <laughs> clearly, that, clearly Noah had enough social interaction to where he was talking to people and preaching to people. And he was preaching to them about righteousness. He was preaching to them about God. So these people had enough going on in their lives to notice if they wanted to, something was up. Hey, hey Noah, um, yeah, that's a pretty tall structure. You know, I saw that you started off with your family. You were making it. You were laying the, grant, the, gr the groundwork and now I see it's getting a lot bigger, and now I see these animals coming around, and we got elephants and lions. I didn't even know that they, they existed in this area. Uh, but okay, well, what's going on? Let me know. Something's going on. Something's happened. It's a little weird. It's a little awkward. I don't quite get it. But clearly you're doing something. Clearly something is happening. Clearly there's something going on. Friends, they continued as if everything was fine up until the very day that Noah stepped foot inside of the ark. The very last moment. So that means they're going about their lives. They're doing everything as business as usual. They see Noah build this amassing ark. It took hundreds of years, I believe. 
They saw this structure being built from the ground up. They see animals. Come on, if you see a huge caravan of two of every kind of creature, something's going to go off in your mind. Hey, maybe I should check in with Noah and just make sure everything's good. Imagine you're seeing birds flying over, you're seeing elephants walking, lions, tigers, every type of living creature. They're all going into this ark. You see Noah, it's almost complete. He's making the roof now. And what do they care about? What's on their mind? What's their priority? What are they going out of their way to accomplish? Their dreams? Their ambitions? I want to have some fun. Let's hang out. Let's enjoy life. Let's go check out this new restaurant. Let's go check out this new joint. Let me holler at this person or that person. They were so involved in what they were doing, prioritizing things as if everything was normal, up until the very last moment that Noah stepped foot in the ark. Friends, the Bible says that God shut the door. See, there was a period of time where that door was open. Some of you guys need to understand in this place, the door to salvation is open right now and you can enter. But there's going to be a moment where God closes that door. There is coming a day where that door will be closed by God himself in your face and you won't be able to do anything about it. God closed the door and said to Noah's generation, that's it. The doors have been open this whole time. There's been signs, you had a whole structure, you had a preacher of righteousness inside of your midst, and you kept going on as if nothing needed to change. You kept going on with your life without any disruption. And by the time that door was closed, what does it say? They knew nothing until the flood came and took them all away. Friends, if they only would have known what was coming if they would have only known what was on the horizon, if they would have only known what would happen when that door closed and how important that structure was to them, to their lives, to their well-being, to their family. I'll tell you what, if they understood that, they could care less about the barbecue. They could care less about the friends that they had. They could care less about whatever relationship or love affair they were having. They would have left it instantly. They would have ran to that ark. They would have pleaded with Noah. They knew nothing until the flood came and took them all away. It will be the same way. It will be the same at the coming of the Son of Man. Just take that in for a moment. The same, same mindset, the same oblivion, the same ignorance, the same foolishness. How could you miss this? See, in America, in our day and age, in our culture, in our society, we understand, again, crisis. Touched on COVID-19 just earlier. What happened when the government saw what was on the horizon with the virus, right? Again, this was a virus that rivaled the flu in its severity. What did they do? How did they respond? Well, there was this virus that was looming. It seemed dangerous at first. We didn't know all the information. We didn't know what risk there might be, what risk there might be involved. We didn't know if we were just going to die or turn into zombies. We didn't know. We did not know. So what did they do? What did the government do? They responded. They reacted to the information, the news, the headlines. 
They started implementing lockdowns, stay-at-home orders, wear a mask, six feet, stay home, save lives. Guess what? This crisis that America was responding to was so severe in their mind, and they wanted to be so prepared, and they wanted to be so cautious. They shut down the entertainment industry. No more movies. No more entertainment. I can't watch the uh, Black Widow movie with the spy and all that stuff from the Avengers. I can't see that movie. I'm still waiting for that to come out. They shut it all down. All the entertainment. Put it on pause. Put it on hold. Didn't matter how blackbuster of a movie it would have been. They shut it down. Oh, snap. So this virus is that important. It's that severe. It's that dangerous. We got to watch out. Shut down the entertainment. Okay, okay, all right. Then what did they do next? They shut down the sports industry. Millions, tens, hundreds of millions of dollars that's being pumped into the sports industry. Entertainment, watching people play baseball, football, basketball, it all shut down. It all stopped like that instantly. In response to the news, the headlines, what might have been on the horizon. We had a list of what was essential and what was non-essential. Grocery stores, this, that, the other, strip clubs and bars somehow made it on that list. I don't quite understand that one. All of these things were labeled essential. All the things that were not essential were closed, were shut. They tried to pull that on the church. They tried to shut down the church. Hey, we don't need you guys right now. Just chill out. And I'll tell you what, even at the very beginning, most churches, except for like one or two, at the very beginning, again, when we didn't know really anything, and what might happen, we were like, okay, we, we, we don't want to spread any crazy, you know, disease or whatever. Fine, we'll comply. You know how hard it is to get every single church to do the exact same thing? You know how hard it is to get the church on the same page? You know how hard it is to get every single church to respond and react to the same thing that's going on? Yet when COVID-19 happened, somehow the unity in the body of Christ increased, and we were all able to respond the same way. So we were able to shut down the churches, we shut down the entertainment industry, we shut down the sports industry, businesses were closed, jobs were postponed, our schedules were interrupted, everything was turned on our heads, but we were okay with it, but we understood, we were smart, we were intellectual, we were cautious, we gotta be careful, we don't wanna get sick, we wanna keep people safe. We want to make sure everything, everybody's cool. How is it that we could take such a cautious path in responding to a virus that has, again, rivaled the flu, and yet something much more severe is on its way? Something much more severe in its magnitude? Something that will wipe every single person. The Bible says that God will judge the earth and it will be burned in fire. You think we're going to shut down everything for that? You think we're going to stop everything, shut down the sports, shut down the entertainment, shut down the businesses? We need to inconvenience our schedule because something is on the horizon and we need to repent and get right with God. How is it that our culture is so woke yet we're asleep when it comes to the most severe judgment that's on the horizon. That's why Jesus is saying it's going to be the same way. Look at the news. 
Look at the headlines. Look at what we're seeing. People just making it about love. Today, or June, the month of June, right? It's Pride Month. They're promoting this. They're pushing this agenda every single place. And what's at the heart? What's at the very heart of this whole entire movement? It's just to do and be whatever you want to be and love whoever you want to love. It's all about yourself. Pursuing your sexuality, giving yourself away to whoever you want to. I should have the right to do this. This is my life. I want to live out my dreams. We have all the, all the food, all the fast food, everything's so convenient in our day. Everything we could possibly imagine is at our fingertips. Restaurants and fast food places along every single corner. Whatever we want to satisfy our cravings, whatever our heart desires we can have in this day and age, and somehow we'll make these plans 20, 30, 40 years into the future, get everything together, live our lives, have a good time. We'll shut it down for a virus. We'll put everything on pause and cancel all of our appointments. But for Jesus, for his return, for the last days that are approaching, nobody's doing anything. It'll be the same way at the coming of the Son of Man. I wish that I could say the church was the same way. I mean, it was different. I wish I could say that the church responds differently than the world does. I wish, that, I wish I could say the church was on a different page. You know, the world's obviously going to be acting crazy. The world is obviously going to do what they do. Sinners sin. The Bible calls them children of the devil. Okay, so if they're wiling out, they're acting like their father, Satan, okay, that shouldn't surprise us necessarily. We should be convicted, feel bad for them, and preach to them. Hope they repent while the door's still open. But that shouldn't be the mindset in the church. Christians shouldn't be living like that, should they? Why is it that in this time, in this culture, so many churches are okay with making their plans? They're okay with opening, uh, you know, all these different things. They're okay with achieving their dreams. They encourage people. It almost sounds like Sunday morning services are just a self-help motivational speech every morning. So many churches are doing this. So many churches are talking this way. They're not warning anybody of a coming flood. They're not warning anybody of possible judgment. They're not warning anybody of hell. They're encouraging people to plan their lives and live everything that they want to do. Be everything you want to be. They're, exact, they're acting the exact same way as Noah's generation. They're doing all of these things, planning these events, whatever, satisfying their cravings, chasing whoever they want. All the while, something is on the horizon, and nobody, very few in the church seem to be responding to it. Very few in the church seem to be reacting to it. Somehow the church can get all woke and all cautious and all, you know, shaken up. Oh, snap. There's a virus that we have to be careful about. But when a church leader is in sin, when the worship leader on the stage is backslidden, almost going to turn into an atheist, we have churches commit, we have pastors committing suicide, dealing with depression for years, and nobody knows what's going on. People going out without any accountability in the pulpit. 
Some of the major, major churches in Chicago have all been rocked by scandals of pastors, lead pastors that represented our city to the rest of the nation. Got caught in affairs, doing nasty, sinful things, chasing their dreams, doing whatever they wanted as business as usual. If they only knew what's coming. There was a man lately, or not really lately, but fairly recent, earlier this year, I believe. His name was Ravi Zacharias. Some of you know the story. Represented the church, represented Christianity to a secular, uh, secular world. Was heralded as one of the brilliant minds of the church. And he lived to his very last day with everybody believing it. Being deceived, thinking that this was a man of God. Oh, friends, I wish that Ravi Zacharias, when he was getting tempted before it all blew up, I wish he would have stopped everything. I wish he would have shut it all down. I wish he would have canceled all of his appointments, all of his conferences, and said, Lord, I need you to move in my life. Set me free. I wish he would have taken the steps. I wish he would have interrupted whatever thing he was doing at the moment and get accountable, confess his sins, Step down for a time, whatever he needed, because it wasn't worth his soul. It wasn't where he's at right now. And obviously, for those of you who know, the moment he died, all the scandals broke out. This man was a pervert, was a player, harassed women, had women touch him. All these different crazy things were going on in his life, and nobody said anything. They might have had their plans and their conferences. They might have had him as a guest speaker. Hey, as long as the money's coming in, as long as everybody's happy. We don't need to change anything. We don't need to stop what we're doing. Everything's fine. Let's continue on as everything's okay and life is normal. The church is guilty of the same exact thing. Some of you in this place have issues that you're dealing with things that you're struggling with, places that God has called you and you're supposed to be. But you don't want to interrupt what you're doing with your life right now. You don't want to shut everything down. You'll do it for a virus. You'll take a break from your job when there's a COVID-19, basically a flu going around. But when God is calling you to repent and get on your face, you don't think it's worth inconveniencing your little hangouts and your little this, that, and the other thing. Some of you guys don't need a title. You don't need a stage. You don't need another hangout. You don't need to be with more friends. You don't need more people to validate you. You need to shut everything down. Get before the Lord on your face. I know there are some men and women of God in this place who wish they would have heeded this warning a lot sooner in their lives. Praise God, some of you didn't backslide when that happened to you. Praise God, some of you didn't fall out and live in full-out rebellion. But some of you know what I'm talking about. You wish you would have woken up sooner. You wish you would have taken everything off. Shut everything down. Hold on. I'm not living right. I'm not okay. I need to get right before the Lord. I need to confess whatever it is that I'm going through. Because I know something is coming. I know that God will hold me accountable. 
Some of us need to take this seriously. We think we have time. We think we can get around to it eventually. Some of you don't. You guys need to get on your faces. You need to repent. You need to get on your face and cry out to the Lord for breakthrough in your life. You have to not go anywhere, not move in any direction before the Lord deals with you and helps you and brings you into the fullness of what he has for your life. Stop playing games. Stop acting as if everything's okay. Stop acting as if you can play it off for another year, two years, ten years, twenty years down the road. Because you don't know what's awaiting you. You don't know that there's judgment on the horizon if you don't take care of the attitude that you have. If you don't take care of the marriage problems that you're dealing with. If you don't take care of it, friends, you won't even be here. Some of you think that you're going to be able to stand in the face of persecution. We're seeing so much hostility and opposition to the body of Christ. And you think that somehow, somewhere, you're going to muster up enough strength to stand up against the entire population and say, I'm a Christian. I don't care. You can do whatever you want to me. Somehow you think you can say no to them. But you can't even say no to temptation. You can't even say no to the devil when he comes tempting you, drawing you away with some little trinket. Who think, who are you to think who are you to think that you'll be able to stand in the day where everything's turned up 100 degrees and they outlaw what we believe and they're imprisoning us, they're jailing us, they're locking us up, they're torturing us. Friends, before they killed the apostles, guess what they did? They whipped them, they beat them. It didn't just go from one, uh, one, one extreme to the other extreme. They weren't able to just live their lives as everything was fine and then all of a sudden, okay, now I'm ready to give up my life for Jesus. No, in between... They were getting beat, they were getting whipped, they were getting spat upon, they were being left for dead, they were being shipwrecked, Paul talks about being shipwrecked, being transported between different governmental institutions. You think he was able to do that while still struggling with the same sins? But see, Paul understood it. He knew he had to get things right at the very beginning, and that's exactly what he did. We're called to be more than the people of Noah's generation. We're called to take things seriously. We're called to heed the warnings. We're called to respond. We're called to react. There's a crisis looming. Stop playing games. Stop taking it as if it's a joke and you have time. You don't have time. If we can go to 1 Thessalonians, it's the next passage. It's here in the notes. Jesus, help us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. What does it say? <clears throat> now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. Again, stop with the books, stop with the shows, and all this. We don't need to write to you about times and dates. For you know very well that the day of the Lord, again, context here end times last days the day of the lord it will come like a thief in the night nobody will be expecting it nobody will be ready for it It'll come like a thief in the night while people are saying here's what they're saying why do i hear this in the church and in the pulpit so much peace and safety we had so many prophetic words about covid19 it's going to be over in a few months god's going to rescue his people don't worry it's okay baloney it says peace and safety, but destruction will be on them and suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. 
See, so many pastors are saying peace and safety, peace and safety. Everything is going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. And they have no clue. No, it's not going to be okay. There's destruction looming. Everybody say, but you. Everybody say, but me. Brothers and sisters, you are not to be in the darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are children of the light. Oh, somebody receive that today. You are children of the light. Amen. Give it up for the Lord. We are children of the light and the children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, everybody say, so then. Let us not be like the others. Let us not be like the others. Let us not be like the people that we're seeing on the news. Let us not be like the people we're seeing on TikTok and YouTube. We're trying to give some advice, trying to spew some wisdom, and they have no idea what they're talking about. Trying to talk about relationships and love, and they've never even been in a marriage. And they're hooked on a bunch of nonsense. They're already dating a bunch of different people. They're being caught in scandals. Don't listen to them. Don't be like them. Stop taking your cues from sinners. The church needs to stop taking their cues from what the world is doing. It's what the Bible says. Let us not be like the others. Why? Because they're asleep. They're asleep. They don't know what's going on. They can't understand why we're so passionate. They can't understand why we take this so seriously. They're asleep. Are you asleep today? Are you asleep to what's going on? Are you asleep to the things of God and what God's calling you to do? But let us be awake and sober. Here's the call. This morning, stop being asleep and be awake. If you're awake, you'll be able to see what you're doing. You won't be stumbling around like an idiot. You won't be stumbling around like you're doing right now for the last few months. Last few years of your life. Come on. Wake up. When you're awake, when you're sober, you're able to control yourself. You're able to see where you're going. You're able to see where you're supposed to be at. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. Last verse. Go to Jude. Thank you, Jesus. Is this speaking to anybody? Amen. Is anybody receiving this? Jude chapter 1, verses 17 through 21. Another passage, again, talking about the end times. Talking about the season in which Jesus returns, it says, But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. So the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, the disciples, they foretold something. They prophesied something about the future in the last times. What did they say? They said to you, in the last times, some of you need to see this prophecy and it will blow your mind. In these last times, there will be scoffers. Scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. 
Who would have known we would have entire platforms dedicated and fostering mocking and scoffing? I guarantee you the apostles probably couldn't even imagine the level of scoffing and mocking that happens on social media. Everybody has a voice. Everybody has an opinion. Everybody wants to jump to the extreme, make a meme, put this person on blast. You're stupid. You're dumb. You're this, that, and the other thing. We have a spirit of mocking and scoffing, and it's fulfilling the prophecy that's spoken here. But are we supposed to follow them? We're supposed to take our cues from these scoffers and people who mock the body of Christ. What are these people following? What is Alexandra Cortez following? Listening to people who spew garbage, things that are contrary to scripture. They're following their own ungodly desires. Some of you need to understand the people that are in power right now that are in the government. They're following their own ungodly desires. If they're not a Christian, repenting of their sins, living holy in a church, they're not following God. I don't care how cool they sound. I don't care how woke they sound. I don't care how deceiving their lies are. They're scoffers. They're mockers. They're putting into legislations things that are targeting the church because they're following their own ungodly desires. You know, people in the world have desires, but they're ungodly. You remember when you were in the world, did you have any desire that was godly? Did you have any desire that was godly when you were living in sin? No! Let's wake up, stop following and giving an ear to these fools. They follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you. The church needs to wake up and receive this today. We're experiencing so much division across the body of Christ. Why? Because we're following people who have ungodly desires. We're reading books and listening to speeches from people who are following mere natural instincts. And they do not have the spirit. I'll tell you right now, if somebody doesn't have the Holy Spirit, I don't want to hear them. I don't want to hear what they have to say. If Donald Trump or Joe Biden does not have the Spirit, they can take a seat in our church and listen and receive. But you, everybody say, but you, but me, receive that. Dear friends, By building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Come on now. Building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves. Oh, Lord, would you keep us today? Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. This is how we are supposed to be. This is how we're supposed to be living. This is how we're supposed to set up our lives. This is how we're supposed to set up our priorities. We're supposed to be building ourselves up in the spirit, praying in tongues. Think you're going to be able to withstand the, the attacks of the enemy. You don't even have a prayer life. You won't last a second. 
We ought to build ourselves up. Again, the context is the last days. It says, in the last times. This is talking about the days that we're in right now. We're seeing the days coming closer and closer. Things are getting worse. How are we supposed to be living? We need to be building ourselves up. We need to be praying in the Holy Spirit. We need to be putting our faith in the Lord, keeping ourselves in God's love. If we can all stand. Vinny, if you could come, please. There are two options for you today. You could either be outside of the boat or you could be inside. You could either continue from this day forward living your life however you want to. You could go to the next party you're invited to. You could hang out with the next group of friends that you think you feel cool with and identify with. Tired of seeing Christians identify more with worldly people who are filthy and ungodly and they say they don't belong in the church. Why well, I don't belong in the church? I don't get along with these different people. No! Listen to what, listen to the people who have the spirit. Stop being in the world. Pull yourself out. We can either be like those outside of the boat for living their lives. They're seeing the church. They're hearing the warnings. They're seeing the preaching. But they keep going to that party. They keep hanging out with those friends. They keep living in that sin. Nothing's changing. Nothing's different about them. They may come to church. They might even come to an altar call. You think that means anything if your heart's not in it? But when the day comes and God calls them, holds them accountable, and they're judged for how they lived, God will say, depart from me for I never knew you. Are you outside of the boat or are you inside? Are you going to spend your life living for the Lord? Ready for what he has in store for you. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes in this place as the Spirit is moving upon each and every one of our hearts. Lord, we don't want to be like Noah's generation. We don't want to be like Noah's generation, Lord. If there's something that you've been holding on to, if there's something that you're not seeing victory in, if there's something that you don't want to do for the Lord, but he's calling you to do it. Stop putting it off. Stop thinking you can live your life as everything is okay when there's something on the horizon that you're about to miss because you didn't heed the warning. I want to open up these altars and I want to ask before the altar workers come up if this message is spoken to you in any way I want you to come up right now if you want to change if you feel like you're living like the people of Noah's generation and you think you can keep going on as if everything's fine well I'm good I'm just going to go to this next hangout. I'm just going to go here. I'm just going to go there. It's fine. Oh, yeah, I'm falling into sin. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm dealing with that. Oh, yeah, I'm about to backslide. But I don't need to go that far. I don't need to take it that seriously. This is a warning and a wake-up call for you. 
Some of you need to be up here. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, begin to intercede right now on behalf of these people, on behalf of those that are still in their seats thinking that they can buy off a little bit more time before they give their lives fully to God. They think they have another bargaining chip up their sleeve. You have nothing. God is coming soon. And he's going to judge you for what you're doing. Stop. Wake up. Stop being asleep. If you are spiritually asleep to what God's been calling you to do, maybe there's some radical things. Maybe there's some dreams and visions. Maybe there's some mission fields that God sent you, that God's putting in your mind for you to be sent to, but you're too afraid. You know you should be in Bible college. You know you should be up here on this stage. But you're walking in fear. And you think that somehow you can buy enough time because no one, none of the leaders know. And at least I'm not an all-out sin and I still have a little bit of God to feel good about myself. Friend, you need to be up here. You need to stop playing God. You need to stop going to these different things expecting as if everything's fine. When God's calling you to wake up, make a difference. Stop singing about revival, become revival. Stop singing about it. Respond and react to what God is doing and what he's about to do. And just for a few more moments, just receive from the Holy Spirit. These altars are still open. Holy Spirit, move in this place. Just let the Holy Spirit break you right now. It's okay. It's okay to be broken. Let the Holy Spirit break you. Not in a sinful way. It's okay for the Holy Spirit to humble you right now. Under the mighty hand of God, let his presence touch you. For some of you, this is life or death. For some of you, this is a deciding moment before things go out the window. so strongly in my heart. Some people think they can say no to renouncing Christ when persecution comes to our nation and they can't say no to sin right now. You can't say no to your bitterness. You can't say no to your attitude. You can't say no to your anger. What makes you think you'll say no? Stop playing yourself. Stop playing yourself, friend. Make it right with God today. Some of you think you can continue living on without the power of the Holy Spirit in your lives. Think it's just a nice teaching for just a radical church. I'm going to stay safe over here. I don't need that. Friends, you need to be on your face and seek the Lord for his fire. world doesn't need a dried up church, it needs a church on fire. Oh, a church that doesn't have the spirit can't make a dead in the kingdom of the enemy. If you need the fire of God in your life, come up. Come up. There's still time. Come up. What are you waiting for? 
What if everything went out the window tomorrow? Would you be ready? If you could sing in the spirit something on your heart, whatever. Today is the day. If I can have the altar workers now come up and pray for these people. Just receive from the Lord. Pray that the gifts of the Spirit would flow. Some of you fall out in the Spirit. It's okay. I'd rather look like a fool today than be a backslider tomorrow. I'd rather look like a fool for Christ today than give up on Jesus years from now. Show Torah, say, 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 say,